Amen. So, if you have a Bible, Colossians chapter 1. If you don't, raise your hand and GR will pass one out. We're beginning this book. We're going to make our way through. I don't know so much verse by verse, but we will cover a lot of the verses. We do believe in the teaching of God's Word and all that it has for us. Colossians, we haven't done that at Northgate for a long, long time. But what a joy to look at this epistle that Paul has written to us and glean from it. I'm excited. Been praying and looking at this all week, and I'm excited and I've been uh, given the task once a month to teach CCA Chapel, which is uh, grades kindergarten through grade eight. And this week I decided to do the letters of Revelation, and I start on Monday with preschool. How about that, huh? So I was like, this is going to be a breeze. Colossians, come on. So you guys, be encouraged. We're not going to get into the deep truths of Revelation, as I will with the preschool tomorrow morning. Ah, we'll make it fun, right? I think all ages can learn, amen? And I remember when my kids homeschooled, I began teaching them of the churches in Revelation, and I gave candy out, so it worked really well. No candy today for you, though. Colossians chapter 1, let's go through a little history, and then we'll get into God's Word. Paul, the author, obviously... I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Sorry to throw you off, but it just reads a little better for me. It says, The letter is from Paul in verse 1, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people, or New King James, to God's saints, in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. Verse 3, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which comes from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Verse 7, and we'll finish there this morning. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant and he is helping us on our behalf. He has told us about your love for others that the Holy Spirit has given to you. Paul's writing this letter, but he's never been to Colossae. He doesn't know these people, actually. He didn't found the church like other ones, like Ephesus or the church in Philippi. But as we heard at the very end of our reading, Epaphras who is his beloved co-worker and God's faithful servant, was the one who started this church. And Epaphras has come to Paul. Paul is in prison. He's encouraging him. 
And he's telling him what's happening in the city of Colossae. What is happening with God's word and the grace that they've been shared. So a little church has emerged and there are some at the end of the book that we see Tychius and at the beginning Epaphras and others Onesimus and Philemon, that little book, yet they lived in Colossae, are all in this little church in this small city. The small city for you to get a little location of biblical cities is close to Laodicea, that church in Revelation chapter 3 that has the lukewarm uh, water spit out of Jesus' mouth. Geographically, it's about 100 miles from Ephesus. Epaphras has told good things of this little church and what God is doing, but Paul is writing not only to encourage them in what he sees or hears, the positive, but as we go through these chapters, we're going to see that he's also writing to correct some false doctrine. Doctrine that's entered the church, and this has happened in a lot of these cities, and that's why he writes some of these epistles. So Paul, that great author from the Holy Spirit, is going to deliver to them this powerful four chapters, though there wasn't chapters in the original letter, so they would have read it right through. And I encourage you maybe this week just to read right through the letter of Colossians. It makes a little more sense. One of the things I've started to do in my devotions is instead of reading a chapter here and there, I'll read a whole book. It'll be small, by the way. I'm not going to attack Psalms in the morning, but I will read like Colossians, and then I'll read it for a week every morning. And what you find is by the third or fourth or fifth time going through it, you start to see things that you might not have seen. And it comes to life a little bit. So this truth, as we're going to find out later in chapter 2 and 3, is some sort of Gnosticism, which is a mix of some so-called superior knowledge that involved mysticism, the worship of angels, polyism, which is the worship of many gods, and Jewish legalism. So it had a little bit of everything. It was a strange mix. But the answer that Paul gives in this letter and the whole theme of this letter is rather simple. It is Christ is preeminent. He is God and his work is complete and it lacks nothing. Amen? Now we might not say there is any Gnosticism today or any legalism or any mysticism, but I would encourage you to truly understand the times. And certainly things sneak into the church and sneak into the things we hear with social media and YouTube and all of those things. And we need to hear very clearly the reason that we gather together, the reason we do anything is Jesus Christ. And he needs to be preeminent, that word, above everything else in that he truly is God. We don't worship his work, we worship him. Amen. He lacks nothing. And sometimes we need to be told just to stand firm in that. Things come and go. I've heard thoughts and different ideas, but Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Someone texted me the other day, did you hear about this miraculous thing happening here? I didn't have the best response. I was like, I've heard of a lot of miraculous things, and I believe God can do them, but I'm not chasing them. I'm chasing Jesus Christ. And my desire is that people would be set free with the truth and the knowledge of his grace. That people would come to know him for eternity and that they would live this life in his power to see freedom 
It's interesting, in Colossians, it's a little different than Ephesians, though they're called twins. If you read the book of Ephesians, maybe like every day this week, and then read Colossians, one thing you'll see in Ephesians, it's always saying that we're in Christ, we're in Christ, we're in Him. In Colossians, it's different. It's Christ is in us. Christ is in us. This week, I met with a fellow pastor, a little bit of a mentor in my life in some ways. He's one who has affirmed my call. He's called out my gifting. I felt so encouraged. But this week, he challenged me a little bit with this question. Where do you want the fellowship of Northgate to be in six months? Where do you want Northgate to be in a year or two years? My first response was, what are you, nuts? I'm just trying to think about getting through this week. What I need to teach every week. Come on, routine starting. I have to teach twice the Christian high school. I have to teach Sunday. I have to teach Monday. And you're asking me to think where I want my fellowship to be in six months and a year? But as I thought of that question as I left, God started to remind me, it's not a bad question. It's a good question. What has God spoken to us? What should we be thinking about? Where do we want to see ourselves in six months in our relationship with the Lord? What are the things that we hang our hat on that we want to grow in and not be changed by anything else? As I look at the book of Colossians, as we'll see even today, there are so many themes here that I would like to see us in six months and a year constantly growing in. They say repetition is a wonderful thing, especially with vision, especially with what God would want for us because we are human beings and we have a tendency to forget. So today, I want to remind you what I think God has for us continually again and again and again. But before we get there, we'll learn a little more of the history. Paul says he's writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae. So the author Paul writing to these holy, these saints, these faithful brothers and sisters. I would note to you as well that Paul, in defining himself, calls himself to be an apostle. And if you read the scriptures, I'll put it this way. When Paul writes a letter, he usually sends one or two ways of introducing himself. He says, I'm an apostle or I'm a slave. And every word in scripture is absolutely crucial. Every theme, because if he's saying he's a slave, he's saying, I'm a servant like you. If he's saying he's an apostle, what he's doing is claiming his authority. And when you claim your authority, you got one thing on your mind. I'm going to try with my authority to correct the way of the ship, which is going a little off. So, listen, I'm your father, listen to me. Sometimes I say that at home. Really, Dad? I forgot. But why do I say that? <coughs> this is my authority, folks. In the classroom, I'm your teacher. I'm the principal, listen to me. I'm the boss, you listen to me. Here's Paul. I am an apostle. Not chosen by men, but chosen by God, he will say in many times, and Timothy's here with me. Listen to me, 
because I have authority. God has placed me in authority over you to help you, to protect you in this life. It's been a theme I've been thinking about lately. This is a little bonus to what we're going to learn about. Discipleship is really important in our lives. Amen? You need to be being discipled. I don't care if you've been a Christian for two years or 20 years or 40 years. Discipleship is constant. And we constantly need to be growing, becoming deeper disciples of Jesus Christ. Do I hear an amen? Discipleship at times isn't all affirming and encouraging, though the majority of the time it is. I'm a big affirmer. I believe in encouragement. I believe in the truth of God's word. I believe texting, calling people. You can do it. I believe in you. You are chosen by God. I'm praying for you. Maybe some of you have received texts like that from me. I really believe that's a part of discipleship. Part of discipleship is how are you doing in your Bible reading? How are you doing in your prayer life? Part of discipleship is, are you struggling with anything? Part of discipleship, and here's when I go for this last point, is also discipline and speaking truth into people's lives. I heard a sermon a couple weeks ago, and it made me think that unfortunately, the church today sometimes does great at the affirming part, but we lost the sense of the church acting in our lives as an authority of correction. The problem today is if we don't like what someone says, if they call it out in our life, we just go somewhere else. And if there are believers in our life who call us out on something and we don't like it, we go somewhere else. Because the reality is sometimes we live in our own minds and we think we do nothing wrong, but we need brothers and sisters in the Lord. And by the way, I can speak as church, as the body of Christ, not just one little fellowship, but do you have Believers in your life who love you so much, like Paul the Apostle, who will call you out if you're going the wrong way. Who will say, listen, I love you. I don't think what you're doing is the right thing. And that's almost a thought we shiver at today. Maybe because of abuse in the past, of the shepherding movement and silliness. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who have been put into authority in your life, to speak into your life, to encourage, to affirm, and to challenge you if you're going the wrong way, because sometime in our, in our head, we get on this, woo, eh, how do I say, maybe a wheel, maybe not like this, however you want to talk about it, and we have a really hard time seeing truth, and we need someone really objective in our life who loves us to say, I don't know if your thinking is the right thinking here. The reality is we need Pauls. We need Barnabas. We need Pauls. We need to be being mentored and challenged. We need people to encourage us. But I want to encourage you in this sense, and myself as well, am I teachable? Am I open to correction? They're going to receive this letter. They're going to read this letter, and half of it's correction. And today, I don't know, if we write a letter, we might write a sentence or none, but are you open to pray about what people challenge you and correct you on? And I don't even think it happens that often, but do you have the humility, do I have the humility of Proverbs which says, 
I want to gain a heart of wisdom. And if someone speaks into my life and challenges me, am I going to pray about it? I'm not saying it's, a, it's right. But will I respond to that in a way that Christ would want me to respond? And I have a fear sometimes that within church today, that the moment that we in any way at any time challenge people, we run away. We don't like it. And we argue and we fight. And then we go find other friends. That's not what God has called us to. And I'm not saying the person is always going to say the correct thing. But oftentimes, as I heard in this sermon, we have been called to have mentors, older people in our lives, spiritually older, I'm not even talking about age, who love us. Like remember in my life, I went on staff at Cornerstone Calvary Chapel, and my first job was to do a men's breakfast. That was like my big moment, and I planned, and I planned, and I brought in the speakers, and we had a good amount of men. I forget, it was over 100 men, and it was over, and my pastor, Pastor Chris at the time, it was Tuesday, took, I don't know, Monday or Tuesday, called me into his office, and I was just like, oh, he's going to tell me how great a job I did. So excited. And I remember I looked over his desk, and he looked at me, and he said, details, details, details. And my first was like, yeah, you better learn about those. Just joking, you know. You guys aren't laughing. My jokes aren't going anywhere. No. My first response was to get defensive. You know that? Who are you to tell me that I wasn't thinking about the details? This was successful. Who are you to speak that into my life? But then he said, Daniel, I want to tell you something. There was things you were doing you shouldn't have been doing because you didn't plan. You should have had other people doing them, and it lost out in this way and that way. Now, I could leave that office thinking, why in the world? But I remember thinking, Lord, there's definitely some truth in what he's saying. And at that moment, you have a choice. Am I going to get defensive and then attack him? Or am I going to learn? The reality is details, details, details wasn't about men's breakfast. It's actually been a problem in my life. And so what he was saying about the men's breakfast, as I look back, was something I needed to work on because I'm very weak in. That's something I need to put around myself because that's not a strength. It doesn't mean I don't work on it. But what he was pointing out was for my benefit. And what I had to think and ask myself is, does he love me? Well, why would he say that? The reality is because he loves me. And now I have a choice. To live in humility and take that lesson because truly he was the one in my life discipling me. And I think sometimes we're very leery and we need to be open to what God has for us. And I'm not telling you to go around trying to correct everyone. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in your life, do you have someone who loves you so much who will be a spiritual mentor that they will speak truth to you. And then will you consider it and pray about it, knowing the position they have in your life? Can I ask you this? When is the last time you were correct?
and how did you take it? Because I believe Paul here is loving them, edifying them, encouraging them, we're going to see in these next verses, but he's also going to correct them. And I think that is an excellent lesson for us to learn in and to grow in. Well, he moves on from there and says some wonderful things. Just quickly, he calls them holy, he calls them saints, and you've heard this from this pulpit before, but you are a saint in Jesus Christ if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. There are certain denominations that believe you have to do a miracle to be a saint, but the word of God says if you're a believer, you're a saint. And unfortunately, some of us live in the shame of our sin, and we call ourselves sinners. And the reality is, if we believe in Jesus Christ, we're saints. Your holiness is not determined by your action. Your holiness is determined by your God who died on the cross for you. Do I hear an amen? So don't walk out of this place feeling bad about all your sin. Walk out of this place knowing that Christ has died, given you his righteousness, and made you a saint, and made you holy. And if you believe that, your actions will follow. That is so important. Because so many of us want to concentrate on all the negative, but we don't look at Jesus and what he's done in our life. And I love how Paul addresses them. They've got problems, folks. They've got problems, but he says, you are faithful, and you are saints, and you are holy, and he'll carry on in chapter 1 and tell them why they are holy, and it's because of Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful today that your holiness is dependent on Jesus and his work and not your actions each and every week? Oh, baby! Man, that's incredible. And sometimes I think we're too busy thinking about ourselves and we haven't renewed our mind in truth and the gospel truth. Because a week ago I had a Christian brother give me a book and maybe you know it. It's a little devotional called Chosen and I'm always on the lookout for things to read to my family. And the premise of this book is in 30 days it preaches the gospel to you a different way every day with a story. And so the idea in that is every day you'll know the truth of who you are in Christ Jesus and what he's done for you. That he came to this world, that he chose you, that he lived the perfect life, that he died for you, that, you, that he gave you his righteousness, that he made you righteous, that he rose from the dead and made you powerful because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Now isn't that a good thing to hear every day? You better believe it. And we need to renew our mind in that truth each and every day. You are chosen. You are holy. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. You are going to heaven. You are God's child. You are loved. You need to hear that every day, multiple times, again and again, because the lies of who you think you are are going to attack. And you need the truth of Scripture to be renewed in, to live the life God has called you to live. So if he wrote this letter to us, church at Northgate, holy people, faithful brothers and sisters, I have a little note for you. And that's how God sees you.
So Satan, get lost with your lies. He then moves on beautifully to say, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, because we've heard of your faith and your love, because you're expecting hope reserved for you in heaven. This week I was at Dave and Ralph's. I make it uh, a weekly practice to go see Ralph. And David's gracious enough to, to make us lunch and we eat together. It's one of my highlights each week. But on the menu for dessert this week was peaches. I love peaches. I don't know what Dave or Ralph said. The peaches are really good this year. And I was going to bring one and make you all feel awful while I ate it up here. But I forgot rats. You know, after that conversation, I felt like, man, I just want to go have more peaches. And I, and I bought some peaches yesterday because the reputation of the peaches this year is they're so tasty. You know, some years, it could be any fruit or, or corn. Oh, the corn is so good. Yeah, go buy it at the Miller's, right? The corn is so good. Or whatever it is. That is so good. Like there's a reputation of fruit, whether it's a good year or a bad year. Each of us has a reputation as a believer. You're either a sweet peach, <laughs> don't you like that? Or your peachy taste isn't so good. And I love it because as Paul is talking to this church, he speaks of their reputation. He speaks of how sweet they are in their relationship with the Lord. He says, man, I've heard about you. I haven't seen you. I haven't been there, but I heard about you. Man, you guys have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have love for all God's people, and it comes from your confident hope that you're going to heaven. So I've heard about you guys at Northgate. Blah, blah, blah. Fill in the blank. Unfortunately, with some churches, I've heard about them. Have you ever had conversations? <laughs> oh, what about that church? Oh, boy, I heard about them. Or, I've heard about them. They really believe in Jesus Christ. Man, they have incredible love for one another. And it's all because they just think about eternity all the time. Wow. Truly is the sweet peach. I love it because as you look at that, their faith has produced love. Their faith in Jesus Christ has produced love. And he goes on to say, even at the end, again, Apaprius has told us about the love you have for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. There's only one kind of love the Holy Spirit gives. What is that? That's agape love. And if you look in the Greek as I did, it is agape. We've heard of your agape for each other. Now let's break that down. Basically saying, we've heard that you don't keep a record of wrongs. Ooh. We heard that you always hope. We heard that you're not rude. We heard that you're kind. Oh boy. We heard that you're not puffed up. We heard that it's not all about you. We heard that it's not even your love, it's the Holy Spirit's love in you. 
that is some sweet fruit. Forget about a church, maybe your life. It's a good question to ask. What do people say? Or more importantly, what do we know? What do we think is our reputation? We know who we are in Jesus Christ. We've talked about that. We're holy. We're saints. But I think sometimes a little exhortation is good. Dan Schilke. I've heard of him. I heard when he plays hockey, he's angry. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> you fill in the blank. Oh, I heard when he does that. Man, he's a Christian. I know, he believes, or she's a Christian. They have faith in Jesus Christ. They proclaim it, they believe it, everyone knows it. And there's a love for other people. And it's not just because they say, I love you. Their actions are agape love. 1 Corinthians 13, love. They're not focused on themselves. I love, again, how the Holy Spirit produces this in our life. I was thinking this week of the power of the Holy Spirit, putting a message together in my head for possibly a conference about the resurrection. I was thinking about the Holy Spirit and love and grace in the resurrection. I was thinking sometimes how if you're working on electrical work, which I don't do, but I've heard people say, that wire's dead, you can work on it. What does it mean? The power's off, right? It's not live. It's not live. But Jesus is alive. And Jesus lives in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when people see us, they should say, he's alive. There's power. He believes that Jesus died and rose again and that Christ lives in him, and the wires aren't dead within him. He's alive. Now, things are alive that are dangerous. You don't work on them, right? And a Christian who's alive is dangerous in a positive way because they do things that only the Holy Spirit can do through them that their own strength couldn't accomplish. What a joy that is. And what is it that's changed their life as he continues on of their reputation? He says it's because they have this hope, but this good news that came to you that went through all the world and to them, and it's bearing fruit. There you go. Changing lives, just as it's changed your lives from the day you first heard it and understood. And what is this truth? It says at the end of verse 6, God's wonderful grace. You're thinking about evangelizing to someone? I got a few hints from you. You want to see fruit? Don't talk about yourself. Don't argue. Don't argue about evolution. Don't argue about gender. Don't argue. Don't argue. Don't argue. I think apologetics has its place, but I don't think it saves people. I love Ravi, but very few people I've met have come to the Lord through that. People come to the Lord when they understand the truth of God's wonderful grace. So if you want to share with someone, tell them about what Jesus has done for them. Tell them about Jesus and his amazing work. Because Jesus and his wonderful grace and that truth, when someone understands it, it changes their lives.
God's grace is the foundation of everything. And as you understand what he has done for you, it changes everything. And it produces that amazing love. And that's what he's saying so clearly here. Epaphras is telling us, and not only here, but all over the world, God's grace is changing people. And I would tell you, God's grace changed you. It wasn't your ability. It wasn't your deep seeking. It was understanding what he's done. God's amazing grace. That gives me the shivers. I love Jesus because I'm a jerk. And he made me something special. And my whole life, I've tried to do it on my own, but in my 30s, a believer, when I slightly came to understand God's grace, the power came for me to love people which never was there before. Okay, where do I want this fellowship in six months? Let's go back to the original question because we're bringing this baby in for a landing. Six months. I would love to see a deeper understanding in our fellowship of the truth of God's grace. I would love that we would build here in God's grace like we've never built before. Not on what we can do, not on concerts, not on home groups, not on great preaching, not on great worship, not on great, some great vision to reach our community. But if we will truly understand the depth of God's grace a little bit more each day, we will do all of those things in a way that we've never thought we could do before. As Paul prayed to the Ephesians, oh, that you would know God, that you would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him. Oh, the vision here that we would know God and his incredible, wonderful grace to us. It'll change everything. It'll change depression, anxiety. It will change shame. It will change fear. It will change everything. And we are called here to build on because the next thing we're going to see, which I would desire in six months or a year, is that we would love one another in the body of Christ like we've never loved each other before. That we would put others above ourselves. That we wouldn't keep a record of wrongs. That we wouldn't be puffed up. That we would be so kind that anyone who walks by this building or says, oh, you go there? Woo! That's a church that loves. And we need to be reminded that we're loved, God's grace, and his power in us, because of his grace, allows us to love. And I believe if this wonderful grace can change the world, as Paul is saying here, it sure can change Lanark County. Amen.
if we remind ourselves daily, each other, open to discipleship, to growth, to correction, on the foundation of grace, we will love. Amen? I guarantee in your personal life, this is a promise. You know, people guarantee victories in big sporting events. I have a guarantee for you today. If you will understand the truth of God's grace more, your life will be radically different from now on. Is a guarantee, 100%, no doubt. I stake my life on it, and I believe it. You will be a different person because God's work is absolutely incredible. Amen? And we're going to celebrate that right now. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, man, that you see us as holy and righteous because of your grace, because of your forgiveness. Would you give us, God, a greater expectation of eternity to be with you, to fully comprehend you? In the meantime, Lord Jesus, oh, would you help us? Yeah, the Holy Spirit speaks better than me. That's for darn sure. So let's just have a moment of silence. Just ask God, is there anything in my life that you want to remind me of? Anything that you've heard from the book of Colossians? It might seem weird to you. I don't think it's weird. I think we're called to meditate on God's scripture. Ask the Holy Spirit who lives within us to speak to us. You have an anointing that no one should teach you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. So we're just going to have silence for a minute and ask God, God, is there anything you want to remind me of, convict me of, encourage me in that you've heard this morning? We also take time just to think on the Lord Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, his work on the cross. His body broken, his blood spilled. I don't know if everyone in this room is a believer 
But if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, Scripture is clear, you're not righteous. You're not holy. Your own human efforts are not good. They fall short. You need to believe God's word would be very clear in your heart and confess with your mouth of what Jesus has done on the cross and that he rose again. Then truly, you are righteous. You are holy. If there's anyone in this room, maybe... You've never believed that or you've fallen away from that in some way. Can I encourage you to come back today? The Father is waiting. He loves you. His desire is to pour out his grace again and again upon us. The elements are in the back. As Stefan sings quietly, you can get it in a worshipful spirit, just continually thinking on what Jesus has done for you. Think on the love of God. Be refreshed today. Be renewed in what he thinks of you and that you truly are holy because of Jesus this morning. Let's worship together.